Good morning, Crosswinds. It is great to be here with you this morning as I get the opportunity to kick off this next series, Gift Exchange. Wasn't that a great video? We do that um, video in-house. So we have some amazing ministry partners and people on staff here who work together to create this. And I love the way that that shows a gift coming right at us, just like the gifts that we have received from God himself. Before we start the message this morning, I just want to say that I hope you all had an amazing Thanksgiving. Yes, I love to hear that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. You know, I heard all kinds of different stories of how people celebrated um, Thanksgiving and that special meal. Some had a little bit of a closer knit gathering, a smaller gathering, honoring um, the thoughts and um, concerns of other people. And then some just were able to bring their whole extended family back again for, for Thanksgiving. And I think that's amazing. Some I heard only had to cook a little turkey breast. Some um, that I know ordered and had their turkey prepped and delivered all complete and done. Amazing, right? I won't share any names. And then another person I know deep fried their turkey and it was done in 40 minutes and amazing. All these different ways to go about, but the point is to gather together as family and to enjoy the company of one another and be thankful for the things that God has given us, those gifts, again, that God has given us in our life. So as I start this morning, I was reminded that we all have traditions around gift giving at Christmas too. And I don't know about your house, but our house is continually growing. And so um, we have changed up those traditions a little bit. And uh, one of the things that I love to do, and I don't know, I, I hear these stories of other people, is I love to give pajamas. Okay, that's what I got first service too. I don't know. It must just be me. I love to give pajamas to my grandkids because they, they love them and actually they wear them all the time. Their parents can't get them. I don't know if, yeah, look, see? Those are a part of my grandchildren. I have more of them, but every year I buy them some color or something in these pajamas and their parents say they can't get them off them. At least that's what they tell me. So just um, some ideas or some thoughts that we have these traditions that we give at Christmas. But when we talk about exchanging gifts at Christmas, we must first, of course, consider the greatest gift that we have received in Jesus himself. He is our future. He is our hope. He has been promised to us, and he is faithful. In him, we have a hope that extends far beyond our own limited understanding and certainly far beyond anyone or anything that I could begin to rely on Um, myself. So this morning we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that gift of hope and we're going to consider a few questions that we should ask ourselves and attempt to better understand the significance of this amazing gift that we have received. So to begin I'm going to start with some words to an old Christmas carol. It's called In the Bleak of midwinter kind of reminds me actually it's beautiful out there today but in the bleak of midwinter but I really appreciate how the contemporary version um, came out and it's it's going to start our conversation of hope this morning listen to these lyrics would you in the bleak midwinter all creation groans for a darkness for a world in darkness frozen like a stone light is breaking in a stable for a throne he shall reign forevermore The one who made the starry skies, this baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah, into our hopes, into our fears, the Savior of the world appears, the promise of eternal years, Christ the Messiah. The baby Jesus, the Savior of the world, born into our hopes, 
and into our fears, a powerful truth shared within those lyrics. And I think sometimes the truth, as we're going to see as we move farther along this morning, sometimes the truth is very difficult to confront, but not in this case. In this case, case, the truth is laid before us in a manger. And that truth, Jesus, is our future and is our hope. So we're going to unpack hope this morning and look at its significance in our lives today and in our future. So we're going to ask a few questions. And the first one may seem just a little bit obvious to you, but I think it's important that we dig in a little bit and gain a true understanding. So we have to ask this first. What is hope? Because if we have not defined hope in our own life, then can we really understand the significance that it brings us today and in the future? So I looked up several different definitions, and they really all came back to pretty much the same thing. Hope is a desire or a longing. I think about that word longing. It's it's, um, different than just something we, we want for a moment. It's a longing, but it's combined with an expectation. Because if there is no expectation, then it's just an unattainable dream, right? We never can see how it might play out in the future. When I looked up the word hope, I found a lot of positive words to describe it. Optimistic and bright and valuable and profitable. Because, of course, you wouldn't hope for something that didn't result in some type of benefit, either now or in the future. So hope is believing in something positive to come. That would be hope. So we see this hopeful expectation in the interaction between Mary and Elizabeth when they celebrate the pending birth of the Messiah. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who, as scripture tells us, would pave the way for Jesus. This is what Elizabeth says of Mary's faith. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love that because Mary is reflecting her hope and somebody else is seeing it. Elizabeth is seeing her belief and her hope. And then Mary's words herself, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations, there's a belief, right? All generations will call me blessed for he is mighty, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So both Mary and Elizabeth had a confident expectation of what God had promised, and they knew that he would be faithful. Because we know that hope cannot be a whim. It can't be just a passing emotion that we seek out whenever we need it. For Mary and Elizabeth, it had to be deeply rooted in their trust in God's faithfulness to fulfill his promise for generations to come. It must be deep-rooted within us in order for us to persevere, even through the toughest times in life. I want to ask you to listen to Proverbs 13, 12. It'll be on your screen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I want to break that down just a second here. The message uses the phrase unrelenting disappointment in place of hope deferred. So what if we did that? Unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree 
of life. With no hope, each disappointment leaves us further and further and further down that path of despair. Hope must be ongoing. It must be ongoing in nature to be true within us. So think about the picture that this proverb shares with us. It presents this tree of life, this tree of life that has deep roots. One commentary explained it as providing shade and fruit to sustain your soul. I love that idea or that picture, that description of hope. It provides strength to sustain your soul through the tough times and to maintain your hope through the future. Because consider the alternative. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. So how do we define hope? Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength, I love this, is in his faithfulness. The strength of our hope is in his faithfulness. Second question, where do we find hope? I had to add this question because it's a question that everyone wants answered and I think you could fill libraries with books written on the subject, but it's because people are looking for something that they're not understanding. I think it's popular because people confuse hope with temporary happiness, right? Because if I'm not happy right now, then I have no hope for the future. But we have to go beyond that idea. No one can even sustain this definition of hope. It's too difficult. It's, in fact, impossible because what did Jesus tell us? He said, we will have trouble. But then he says, take our heart for I have overcome the world. If we define hope as a momentary happiness, we'll find hope only in our current situation, which unfortunately is changing moment by moment by moment. And then it's greatly influenced by the actions of the people around us. The problem, of course, is that this means we place our hope in someone else's control. I don't want to do that. I want to place my hope in Christ's control, not in somebody else's control. So where then is hope found? I think hope is found or lost in what we believe, in where we place our faith. So let's go back to that hope found in others example. If I put my hope or if I put my faith in a person What happens when they don't meet my expectations? What happens when they fail? And we will all fail because none of us here are perfect. We will all struggle. We will all have those moments. If I place my face, however, in an all-powerful God who created me for a plan and for a purpose, who loves me, whose desire is not just to make me happy moment by moment, but rather to teach me, to guide me through each moment, the good, and the bad ones, and to make me into who I was created to be. Because then my hope is secure, no matter the moment I am in, because a moment is not forever. So as I prepared for this message, the story of the woman at the well came vividly to my mind. In fact, it came to my mind about midnight one night, and I just thought this was a story that reflected such hope. And you can find the account in John chapter 4. You may be familiar with it, but I'm going to ask you this time as we look at it and as we review it, to look at it through the lens of hope. Maybe a little bit differently than you've looked at it before. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling and they were tired and they were thirsty. 
So they stopped by a well to rest. And I think even at this point, there is such significance to this particular well and to this particular region. We're not going to go into all that today, but it's an interesting um, subject for you to dig into yourself, possibly. Today, again, we're going to focus on hope and a changed life and even a changed community. So this woman uh, comes to draw water. Now Jesus, Jesus and his disciples had been there, but his disciples had left him to go find supplies. So there he is alone, and up walks a woman. A couple of things here. The woman was alone because all the other women had come to the well earlier in the day before the sun rose and was so hot. But this woman had been shunned because of her past. And so she came when no one else was present. She came alone. She lived with shame, probably anger, and fear, and so many other emotions that follow shame and heartache, just the opposite of hope, as a matter of fact. But on this particular day, she would walk to the well with her bucket, and she would meet someone unexpected. She would meet Jesus. Jesus, a rabbi in this culture, um, would not engage with a woman alone, by the way, especially not a woman of questionable character. So I look at this, and I think, This was a chance encounter from the woman's perspective. She goes up to the well, and she thinks she's going to be alone just like she has every other day. And she has this chance encounter with Jesus. But then I look at it from Jesus' perspective. And from Jesus' perspective, I think it was a divine appointment. Certainly, he knew she would be at that well. He knew why he needed to stop and go through that area and stop by that well. So Jesus took time with her to help her overcome some of her hesitancies. He began a conversation. Can you imagine meeting somebody by the well, the stranger that you don't know? You're not going to talk too much. First of all, it's not the cultural norm to do so. So you come up to this well, and you start to engage with someone who begins to ask you questions, begins to make you feel at ease, because confronting Jesus, that's what he does. He can bring us to a different space. Eventually, their conversation led to a deeper reveal, if you will. He began to tell her about her past. Now, she had had several husbands and was currently living with a different man. Hard stuff to confront. Because sometimes the truth, as we said earlier, is hard to confront. But we find Jesus right in the midst of both our joys and of our sorrows. He guides us in the right decisions, and then he walks with us through the wrong choices that we make. Now, many see the woman's choices as a means of survival in a culture that devalued women. Whatever her reasons, we're not sure of all of them, but whatever her reasons for her life choices, society saw her as unworthy. Yet Jesus does not turn away from her. All of the others have turned their back, and Jesus remains in conversation with her because his desire is to see her heal. His desire is to give her hope and to give her a future and to share the truth that she may not understand. He doesn't tell her she's unworthy. He never says that to her. He simply tells her the truth, which is a matter that needed to work within her heart. Because within her heart, what did she feel? The shame and the guilt and the anger and the fear and all of those things that can build up in her heart. So he needed to address her right where she needed to hear it within her heart. She had come to draw water. So what does Jesus use? He uses water as a great way to help her see the truth. Now, we can take the drawing of water easy here because we feel like we can just turn a faucet on. 
here in our culture, in our country, but not so during this era. This woman had to come to draw water every single day for cooking, for cleaning, for bathing, for her, um, just for her survival. She had to draw water every day, which is what I imagine she is doing right now. She is not thriving. She is just surviving. She is just surviving in this world. But Jesus tells her something different. This is in John 4, 13 and 14. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. She's getting water from a well, and she sees a different story, sees it in a different perspective. Now, that analogy may sound confusing at first, but the woman's heart was ready to hear it. And Jesus was speaking again, not only to her mind, but right to her broken, shattered, softened heart. So with a few questions and some clarification, she began to understand exactly what Jesus meant. He was the Messiah. He was the one she had waited for. He was the one who was prophesied to come. He was the one who would rescue. It was a game changer for her. All the time that she had come lower and lower, disappointment after disappointment in despair, this was a game changer in her life. Her hope had been in the men that she needed to provide safety and security for her. Again and again, it had led to heartbreak and that dis- despair and the disappointments. But Jesus freely offered her a different gift. He offered her hope in a life that was more than her current circumstances. He knew her past, and he knew she was an outcast, but he also knew her future. He knew there was something more in this woman at the well. So she saw herself as unworthy, but I love the idea of this. Jesus saw her as beautifully and wonderfully made. Unworthy, beautifully, and wonderfully made. So immediately, we read about her excitement in this new understanding, so much so that she leaves her water bucket. The reason she had come, her livelihood, something for her survival, she leaves the water bucket there. And nothing hinders her, hinders her from taking this message to the people in her community. By the way, the ones that had shunned her, she needs for them to hear. She goes to those who despise her to tell them about the Messiah, the one who had come to save even her, even her. He had come to save. So her hope could no longer be in others. What they thought of her or what they provided for her, it now had to be in the truth. It now had to be in Jesus himself. So the woman at the well had found her hope in Jesus. Her hope was not found in her circumstances, but rather in spite of her circumstances. Her hope was found through her faith. No matter our circumstances, God offers hope. We must face the truth, the good and the not so good, so that we can encounter the real truth of Jesus, an unchanging truth that he is faithful to bring to life. Now, I could have pulled story after story of hope from the scriptures because they're throughout God's word. And I encourage you, maybe even through this season, that you begin to read with the lens of hope in mind. Maybe with the lens of hope in mind, you'll see a difference in the scriptures that you're reading for your life. So to answer that question, where do we find hope? 
consider these verses from God's word. We find hope in God, Psalm 62, 5 and 6. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. We find our hope with Jesus, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We find our hope through his Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We find hope in God's word, Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we could have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures through God's word. The woman at the well was stuck in a vicious cycle of hurt and pain and shame and guilt and all of those other emotions. She had no way out until she encountered a divine appointment with Jesus. George Mueller says, faith begins where man's power ends, and her power had come to the end. And Augustine writes, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason. But the very limits of our reason make faith necessary. Right? So this leads us right into our next question. What's the value of hope in our lives? What's the value Earlier I said when there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. So let's flip that. When there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Because hope is what anchors us. Hope is what motivates us. It drives us. So again, hope must be deeply rooted within us. Because hope allows us in those times when it is deeply rooted within our soul and within our heart to trust even through uncertainty. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what's the value of hope? The value of hope is meaning and purpose for today, tomorrow, and for all the tomorrows to come. The value of hope is our future and our present, our todays and our tomorrows. If hope is so important, if hope is so important, we need to investigate it. We need to understand it. But if hope is so important, then I think it must have an adversary. So what is the enemy of hope? The enemy of hope is that despair that we spoke of. Now, despair can seem too big to overcome. And I've been in those moments of despair when I wasn't sure I could find that hope, which is why we have to go to some of those resources that we spoke about, to God, through Jesus, with his Holy Spirit, to his scripture, to other people, to be able to bring it back again. We find hope in the deepest roots of our soul when we rely on truth. We find hope as we rest under the shade of the tree of life. We find hope in God with Jesus through his Holy Spirit. We find hope throughout God's word within his promises. But I think there are two areas of despair, the enemies, if you will, that can really grab hold of us at times, and they are fear and they are uncertainty. So when your enemy is your fears, I ask you consider Psalm 118.6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on your side, and it's a promise. 
Or when the enemy is uncertainty, consider Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When you come to uncertainty, remember that our understanding is limited. But God's is not limited. He sees all. So what is the enemy of hope? It is misplaced faith. When we place our faith in the limitations of ourself or of others, it quickly leads to disappointment, which is the precursor to despair. Okay, we have looked at all of these things, investigated, dug a little bit deeper in hope, but how does hope then change the way that we live? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Well, we live now knowing that we are rescued, knowing that we are saved, and knowing our purpose to share what we have received, that hope, with others. I have a story I want to share with you about a woman. Her name is Christine Kane. And I have read some of her story, not all of it, but I know that she went through struggles in her younger years. Um, Adopted, left at the doorstep, struggled through some abuse. But she found a hope in her Savior, and she couldn't not share that with others. She's the founder of A21 Ministries, a ministry dedicated to the rescue of those caught in human trafficking. Some of those people who need hope desperately. This is what Christine Kane writes in her book, How Did I Even Get Here? She says, no matter what I have faced in my life, when it has come right down to it, I could not unfollow Jesus. Because there is no one like him. There is no other person, belief system, religion, philosophy, or cause that can do what Jesus does. There is no other Savior. There is no other Lord. There is no other anchor for my soul. We find hope sometimes through those around us who care and desire to share that hope with us, not only in them, in Jesus, but they share the hope that they have received with us. Knowing Jesus changed how Christine Kane lived, and it can change how we live. I heard a testimony just this Friday night from a woman, and she shared these words, and I have to share them with you because it made, it was just so, um, so important. Listen to this. She said, when you meet Jesus, it becomes difficult to live a life that contradicts him. When you meet Jesus, it becomes difficult to live a life that contradicts him. When we meet Jesus, it should change the way that we live as we share what we have received with those around us. So in times of struggle, we live trusting in Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in those times of uncertainty, we live remembering Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So let's head back to our first question. What is hope? I think Romans 5, 1 to 5 gives us a great definition. So I'm going to read it to you while it's on the screen as well. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as we kick off this gift exchange series here at Crosswinds, I am so grateful to begin with hope. Because Jesus, our Savior, provides the gift of hope. A gift that flows from living water. A gift that never runs dry. A gift that is offered to all believe. A gift who believe. A gift that must be shared with those we encounter, a gift that was laid before us in a manger. And if you haven't taken that step of faith yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to consider that step today. I encourage you to consider who is the author, if you will, of your hope, of your life, of your future. Consider Jesus. Back to what George Mueller said. He said, faith begins where man's power ends. Maybe we could add to that and say hope lies in believing in the outcome and trusting in the outcome. We're going to add something special to each of our services here through this Christmas series as a way Dave shared a little bit to celebrate Advent. The season of Advent lasts for four Sundays leading up to Christmas in anticipation of Christ's birth. Now, During each of the messages in this series, we're going to light a candle to represent the gifts that we have received through Jesus. We will light a total through these services of five candles through the Christmas series. The final candle being the Christ candle representing the life of Christ, our sinless, pure Savior. So we're going to start our candle lighting this week with the hope candle, also known as the prophecy candle. The candle of hope for Advent assures us that we can have hope that God will fulfill the prophecies that he declared through the Old Testament about Jesus. Jesus, our hope. A hope that, as Romans 5.5 teaches us, will not disappoint us. So as we consider the prophets and the hope that they knew, listen to Isaiah 7.14, prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Written 700 years before the birth of Christ. But we have seen that prophecy fulfilled. We get to live in that hope, knowing that the truth of Scripture has come to be. We have watched the fulfillment of that, the fulfillment in Jesus of our hope in a future. Now, in just a moment, Belle McKee is going to be joined by her sister, Aria, and they're going to close us in a song. And I love this. I want you to remember that Belle wrote this song. She wrote this song, and it's called Healing Hands. And what I think is there is no better place when we find ourselves in a moment of disappointment or despair than in the healing hands, in the hope that Jesus offers us. So when they come up to sing, I'm going to ask you to just wait to consider the song or the words to the song, they'll be up on the screen. And to consider the hope that Jesus offers through his healing hands. We are blessed to have such talent and amazing willingness of our ministry partners to share what the Lord has laid on their heart with all of us. 
So I'm going to end my thoughts with you today in a prayer, but I'm going to begin by reading a story written specifically for the candle of hope as we anticipate bringing this first candle forward in our services today. The four candles burned slowly. Their ambiance was so soft you could hear them speak. The first candle said, I am peace, but these days nobody wants to keep me lit. Then peace's flame slowly diminishes and goes out completely. The second candle said, I am faith, but these days I am no longer indispensable. Then faith's flame slowly diminishes and goes out completely. Sadly, the third candle speaks, I am love and I haven't the strength to stay lit any longer. People put me aside and they just don't understand my importance. They even forget to love those who are nearest to them. So waiting no longer, love goes out completely. Suddenly a child enters the room and sees the three candles no longer burning. So the child begins to cry. Why are you not burning? You're supposed to stay lit until the end, she cries. Then the fourth candle speaks gently to the little child. Don't be afraid, for I am hope. And while I still burn, we can relight all the other candles. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for the hope that you provide. You have given us gifts. You have given us the gift of yourself and the gift of hope. Through this season and throughout our lives, yet another gift, Lord. Would we share the hope that we have received? Elizabeth saw it in Mary. Christine Kane saw it and shared it with people in need. We have also received that hope, Lord, which you give us the strength in your faithfulness to share that hope with others. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning who does not yet know you, has not yet taken that step of faith, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, as only you can do, to take that step of faith. To come to you, Lord, the author of our life, the author of our faith and our hope. Lord, would you speak to them in only a way that you can? And as we move forward in this series, in this series, Lord, and in this season, Lord, um, we ask that you would provide the hope that we need in the midst of some despair, Lord. I know people are experiencing despair even in this time, Lord, but you provide the hope. So we lift them up to you. And we ask, Lord, that we may be a light to shine in the midst of a world in need. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus.